You may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech Ramble, but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just PropTech. So we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name, The Measure Podcast by Metricus. Just like the last series, there'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Measure podcast. Today, I have with me John Weber, who works for a company called IREP. John is the head of asset and energy management, IREP, which stands for International Real Estate Partners. John, thanks very much for coming on, mate. It's good to have you here. Yes, thanks, Michael. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be on from both sides of the world. Obviously, me in Australia and you over in the UK. So hopefully we can bring a real global perspective to the forum. So really appreciate the invite. Yeah, no worries, mate. R- rather than me do it very badly, as I normally say, could you just introduce yourself, who you are and what you do, so that everyone knows kind of where you've come from and what you do with IREP as well, mate? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, the global head of asset energy management technology, I myself have been in facilities management for a tick over 30 years now. Started back in Australia when I was at university, working with Knight Frank. So I've worked with a few of the um, the big boys. Also gone to mainstream M&E and civil and structural consultancy companies, where we've had a look at um, reviewing from an FM perspective uh, the impact on whole life cycle operational costs of anything that decisions that are made at design phase. So worked a little bit uh, for 11 years in the UK, worked in the PPP, P, um, PPP and PFI markets over there, where I gained a considerable experience in terms of really understanding the decisions that are made at the design phase, even from a, an architect's drawing and starting to map a, a whole life cycle operational costs for the buildings, anything from the energy, the consumption, access to you know some of the glass facades and that in, in particular buildings that can be enormous amount of operational costs in a building when you're sitting there trying to maintain them. Yeah, mate, thank you very much. Given the, the broad reach you've had in your career and the companies you work for, it makes a lot of sense why you guys came together as IREP to change FM in the way it currently is. So it's, yeah, I, I think the, the, the questions we've got here, as we've said, are all about facilities management. But as we talked just prior to coming live, the, I think what we run through, there'll be a lot of information in here that some people may not be aware of. The, you know, the people at the sharp end of, of FM and the, the data and the services that are provided. So We'll get stuck in, John, if that's all right with you, buddy. Sounds great. So this is, again, part of our efficiency pillar, everybody. So we'll get stuck straight in. So part one is about the current state of facilities management uh, and building efficiency. So, So question one, John, is what role does facilities management play in driving efficiencies within buildings? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, I think first and foremost, it comes back to the scope, the contracts that are uh, procured through FM perspective. So 
there's not a lot, still not a lot of FM, pure FM contracts out there in the market that have a lot of um, energy efficiency or efficiency measures built in as KPIs. Some of them are still quite old, old school, but most people in the industry are moving forward. I think the biggest benefit the FMs can provide uh, is not so much in identifying and driving new efficiencies, but it's maintaining the efficiencies that are driven into the building. And a lot of that is, is data-driven these days. Um, and, and also expert building services engineers, most of the FMs on the ground, um, and, and I'm, I'm broadly speaking, aren't building services engineers, um, and, and understanding the intricacies of the assets and the systems that run a building um, is not, not their level of expertise. So I think any efficiencies that are driven into the buildings, energy efficiencies, and one of the reasons we tack on um, energy uh, consultancy as a company, so we're ISO 50,001 accredited, we follow ISO 55,001, is to provide that level of technical support to the FMs on the ground. So I think the important part for the FMs is to be able to provide a baseline of the building, uh, the operational performance, uh, understand what the design parameters are of the building and help the FMs not to stray away from those design parameters as much as they can. So I think I think their main cause, when you take over a building, if it's not a new building and it's an existing building, really the way they can drive efficiencies in the first part is to try and get the building operating as close to the design parameters as, as possible. And, and certainly for older buildings, that becomes much more of a challenge depending on the efficiency of the assets. Uh, the ch design changes to the buildings, um, quite often you might get an open plan building, that's what it was designed for, and then it becomes compartmentalised. Offices are put in and everything else. So the challenges there um, um, really stem on, on existing buildings and older buildings is trying to get the building to, to operate as close to design parameters as it possibly can. That way you'll get the most efficiency out of it. In terms of what they can do, and most of existing buildings, you're picking up low-hanging fruit. So driving efficiencies will be awareness campaigns. So things as simple as uh, switching off lights, making sure that um, Chiller's main plant and equipment is, is optimised in terms of performance. So it's starting up at the right time based on the outside air conditions and shutting down at the right time. A lot of those sort of things, again, is bringing it back to the base design conditions. Um, uh, but um, driving efficiencies, I think, needs to be led from the top from a strategic approach. I think it needs to be written into the contracts in terms of performance. Um, and then the FMs are, 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 are pretty much very much process and procedural driven. They're yeah. very, very good at following process and procedure. So as long as they have a blueprint from it, if owners or occupiers have got a strategic vision a tactical level that needs to be interpreted, written into procedures um, and processes, and then a lot of training needs to be done with the FMs on the ground. They're very, very good at following process and procedures, and they'll stick to that. You've mentioned something about chillers. So one of the things that we know and we see that they're not always, you know, set up correctly, but how is how is the digitization of buildings and technology helping with efficiencies for, for you guys across, you know, because you've... You, you cover so many buildings in so many different estates. How, how are you guys taking on technology and is digitization helping with those efficiencies? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we've been working on, it's been a, a dream for 20 years, is, is a business intelligence solution that will basically sit above 
uh, so uh, a business intelligence solution that takes data from all the different sources. So from the uh, traditional CAFM or computerized maintenance management systems, we're pulling out all yep. the, the asset data, the make model, the serial numbers, the capacity. Um, we're looking at the PPM regimes. We're looking at the help desk tickets or anything else that comes in there. From that, if there's any energy data, whether there's energy meters installed, if we can automate the data capture from the energy meters, then we can link them back to the assets so that we can monitor energy performance of the assets. We yep. can monitor consumption in real time. What that allows us to do is pick up any anomalies. So if we've got a sudden drop in consumption down to zero, that may mean that we've got a, a failure of a plant or a piece of asset. So sending automatic alerts to either the FM or the, the vendors that are maintaining, that's important. And conversely, if we've got a spike in energy consumption or energy consumption, say, after 6 p.m. when assets are supposed to be shutting down, again, that will indicate a problem with the asset. But in our BI solution, for instance, and I think this is where a lot of people are heading, is when we overlap the energy data with the um, maintenance data, we're looking at um, number of failures, mean time between failures, mean time to repairs. We look at the operational efficiency. We look at the energy consumption. And now we're into the realms of predictive maintenance, which I know is going to come up later on in the discussion. But, but that sort of data is extremely powerful. It's not only cost avoidance that we pick up, but also massive reductions in impact on the, the, the core business of the, the building or the staff that are in, involved in it, particularly if we can get assets back up and running before anyone notices in the building. So data captures everything. The cleansing, the validation and the reconciliation is absolutely crucial to making the right decisions in the building. Um, and then the, the, the digitisation, digitalization of the data is, is paramount to, to driving the industry forward. It is interesting that you said earlier that the FMs are good at following process and procedures. So if you've got better data sets, then you can make those teams more efficient, right? What are the biggest challenges for facilities companies and facilities managers in the coming years based on the change? There's technology for everything these days. You know, we're a software and technology-driven world. So what, what, are the, what are the biggest challenges that you guys see? Because there are some companies like you guys that are very proactive and leading from the front, and there are obviously the laggards. So what are the biggest challenges FM companies and facilities managers face in the next few years, mate? Yeah, well, I think if we start with the FMs that are on the ground, their biggest change is is creep, I believe. If you look at them, you know, they need to be a jack of all trades, but also, you know, they're almost like a concierge in, in, a, uh, in a hotel. They're, the, they're the, the key focal point. They interact with all of the stakeholders, whether it's the owners, the occupiers, the vendors, the consultants or anyone else that comes into the building. And usually what happens in a contract, it looks black and white when they look at it. But of course, if if you if one of your clients is an occupier, for instance, um, and you you're basically working for the, the business units, not necessarily the RE team um, on the sites, then quite often uh, you're asked to do a lot of things that um, and and at the start it probably seems like nothing. Hey, can you remove a bit of trash from here? Can you book a meeting room for me? Even though they've got a meeting room booking system in yep. place, all that little creep because the FMs. Are there to get on with everyone, um, and they want to please everyone. So, a lot of it, a lot of that is creep. And what that does then is take away from the stuff in the background, like 
it can take away from compliance and statutory requirements because that pretty much goes under the radar. Um, quite often, PPMs and uh, maintenance um, plan maintenance activities can often get delayed because people are attending to uh, stuff that the other FMs do. So on the ground, it's, it's, it's really important that the FMs have strong management support that can work with that. I think monthly business unit meetings with all the stakeholders that the FM on the ground are engaging with, we always want to say yes, and we're always happy to take on more work, but we've got to make sure it doesn't take away from the, the, the key SLAs that are written into the contract. So from an FM perspective on the ground and wanting to please everyone is, is one thing that will always detract them from, from some of the stuff that's not necessarily seen on, uh, on the surface, but is, is, is ultimately important from a PPM and statutory requirement process. The other thing is challenges such as if we want to move forward and provide a more technical or, or, or data-driven solution, then uh, from a procurement perspective, the scopes need to move forward. It's all well and good to drop in a, a technology solution um, in, into something, but then um, like a lot of CAFM systems, FMs aren't fully trained on them. CAFM companies that develop these, uh, these companies that develop these CAFM systems and, and a lot of technology solutions, uh, they don't sell it with training. So really you're sitting down, there's a base understanding of what you do. Uh, if you lined up five buildings next to each other, they all use the, the same CAFM system. I'll guarantee you, you get five different responses in terms of how good the system is. Uh, and the functionality that it uses. So training is a huge one, training right down to the ground on how to use these systems, how to, I'll go back to cleansing, validating and reconciling the data. The FMs in most cases are in control of that. So they need to make sure that it's entered and captured correctly. Um, so procurement needs to be a, load, a long part in it. Supply chain needs to come along with it. So we can't change the industry unless all stakeholders are engaged. So the contractors, the vendors that we have on site, if there's a turn, if there's, if we want to capture more data and we want to keep it clean, we need to write that into their contracts as well. It needs to be all, all the, the key scope, the key deliverables, the key data sets, the key efficiency drivers or anything that gets written into the FM contracts needs to be passed down to any of the vendors that are actually maintaining the equipment. next question mate is how well or maybe not well are facilities companies and facilities managers embracing change and and adopting you know digital building technology to help them again um i'll go back to fm's very process and procedural driven um so change management is is vital in 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 adopting the the changes so if there's a change there, right down to the, the level, even the FM managers and then before they want to pass on anything new, they want to see anything from uh, the racy matrixes, the workflows, the training and everything that goes along with it. Um, if, if it's pretty much black and white uh, and it makes sense and they've had the right training, I think they're very good at following it. But I don't think we're very good in the industry we quite often will come, as I mentioned, um, come up with new strategies, new focus at strategic or tactical level. I don't think we transfer that well enough to the operational level on the ground. I think we need to make it 
as black and white as we possibly can. If it's procedural driven, then it's also easier to manage. Um, if something goes wrong, we can review the procedure uh, with the FMs, with the vendors, where, and, and readily identify where, where anything's broken down. Moving beyond traditional FM and what you were just talking about is, is mapping some data and doing some studies for the customer. What are some of the benefits that you've seen by, by automating some facilities processes? I think the first point is if you're automating the data and bringing it into the, the BI solution, for instance, you've got live data, number one. So it's not a snapshot in time. The old way was to get consultants to come in, take whatever data is available at the time, go away, analyse it, produce a report, come back, present the results, recommendations and move on from there. Well, quite often that process can take a couple of months and the data is well and truly out of date by then, particularly when you're managing a global portfolio and you might have thousands of PPMs a month and, and, and maybe double that in terms of help desk tickets or anything else that's coming in. Things can move pretty quickly. So having live data and being able to analyse that and bringing automating that into a solution is 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 paramount so well, if if you look at it from the perspective any of those consultancy reports we've ever had whole life cycle costing analysis workplace strategy analysis anything else that we do we're basically we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel and saying all of that was wrong or was antiquated we're saying what about if we automate the process what about if all those calculations that decides the life cycle costing the workplace strategies is defined the, the, the measures, if you like, the calculations that provide the ultimate results and the solutions that you want, what about if we're feeding data into that on a live basis, on a daily basis? What that allows us to do is historical trend analysis to see what creep, what scope, what, what's happening over a period of time, because as we know, most data is seasonal, particularly when it comes to HVAC or anything else. So um, measuring a snapshot in a month in a year is not a, a good representation of what happens over the uh, a full year period or the four seasons. So, so that's one thing, and I think that's that's where we've we've moved to now. Is any of those reports? The reports haven't changed a lot. The outcomes of what they want to achieve has, but the formula hasn't changed. There's no new Einstein's out there developing a new theory of relativity. That will always remain as it is. So if you just picture being able to take data and feeding it into those calculations on a daily basis, the historical trend analysis and everything that you can get out of that um, is, is so powerful. And, th and that's where we want to move to. Before we even get to machine learning and AI, you have to clean the data up. You have to understand the seasonal trends to even tell the solution what to look for when before you get into machine learning and AI, um, and I think that's that's where we need to start. Yeah, I I think as I mentioned earlier, there's there's technology everywhere. You've just got to find a use for it. But as you say, without looking at the data and the data sets and what happened before and what could possibly happen afterwards, it's it's like oil. Unless you refine it, the oil's you know it's still valuable, but it's not as valuable as it is once it's refined. So, mate, we are on to the final stretch. So part three is is other ways to drive building efficiency. So have you seen any unusual but great examples of innovations in the facilities management world over the recent years? Given what you guys do, you must have seen something that's that's pretty cool. 
our BI solution, for instance, is like a fully automated self-serve business intelligence tool that takes data from all different sources. So I think the biggest challenge in the marketplace, there's so many stakeholders involved in real estate. There's so many vendors, FM companies, there's so many systems, processes, there's the leasing, um, there's the FM data, there's the energy data, um, investment data, everything else there. So trying to get all that data into one place um, and, and being able to analyse it is, is extremely difficult. So, um, you know, I think anyone that comes up with that BI solution that is able to bring in the data sources from all the different um, uh, systems and solutions, federate that data and analyse it in that system. Like I said, the, the formulas, the calculations and everything are all still there. Some of them have been tweaked based on historical trend analysis based off manually doing that. But any, and I think the BI solutions now that sit on top of the, 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 the solutions that are out there now are driving the biggest innovation, uh, without a doubt, from an FM perspective. Uh, the insights that you've got now into your buildings, being able to take BMS data out and bring it into BI solutions and understand why buildings are inefficient because someone's raised the temperature set points in certain parts of the office by two degrees over here, which is increasing it and everything, uh, your energy consumption over there, and, and being able to look at that in, in, in a tool. So, you know, I, I go back to what we've built. I can sit here in Australia and I can look at, any building in, in those 83 countries that we have uh, with the data sets that we've got. And I know whether the PPM is up to date. I know if we've got any statutory compliance issues, where we've got energy meters and consumption in place. Um, I know if we're over capacity on assets. I know if we're using too much energy or not enough or there's plant failures or whatever else in there. So I, I can't speak highly enough of technology advances. Um, the, the biggest innovations I think will be driven um, by the the more data that we can get, and the more accurate the data is, I'm sure I'm sure you've seen it as well, Michael. But uh, there's so many innovations and tech tech that's out there in the market, and they all do a lot of things. Um, and people are building them, you know, sitting in their little silos, and all of them add, I think, significant yeah. value. But how do you pull it all together? Yeah, um, well, that's the yeah. yeah, I think I think the race is to get there, that platform. And I know that's that's something we like working with you with. I think that's quite exciting to be able to um, federate all those data sources and, and provide the real innovation, the real insights. Uh, and the, the best innovation will be driven by that. I agree. What's your experience with predictive maintenance? Given what you guys do, what's your view on predictive maintenance, mate, and technology to help uh, Yeah, look... We're, we are very, very big on predictive maintenance now. And some of the examples I, I mentioned before, yeah. during COVID, here's a classic example. We had a load of buildings in India. Uh, they were all shut down during that period. So getting anyone on site, it was quite a stringent health and safety uh, process we needed to go through just to get anyone on the site to be able to maintain anything. Some of those buildings we had, you know, 120-odd metres, energy metres in the building. Um, because we uh, mapped that energy data to the asset data, we could have a look at when it was last maintained. We can see the operational efficiency, the energy consumption and measure that. And we were able to defer non-statutory maintenance in those buildings um, because we could, we could, you know, so basically using predictive maintenance measures, we have a look at the number, of, we measure yeah. the number of breakdowns over a period of time. We measure the operational efficiency when the um, maintenance contractors are coming in, putting the energy the energy data over the top, 
um, allows us then to make predictions over the whether we, we're likely to experience a failure or anything of an asset, particularly in those buildings that are closed down. We were able to defer maintenance, if you like, um, yep. again, for those non-statutory assets, saving the customer money. Uh, and we've continued to roll out that for some of our customers as well. Um, the way we went about it, again, we don't just trust the data. We put some predictive maintenance pilots in place, but still carried out the maintenance on an ongoing basis so that we could validate and verify that the data we're getting um, from the automated um, uh, technology solution matches what the contractor that's actually pulling the component apart and maintaining it is telling us as well. Oh, so nice. we don't jump the data in. We never trust the data to start with. We run simulations and we test it and we prove it uh, much the same way any new sensors that you have in uh, get introduced to you, um, you do some thorough testing of that to make sure that, you know, it's 100% reliable in terms of what we're doing. So from that perspective, some major leaps and bounds in predictive maintenance. We've got a lot more on the cards as well. We've got um, uh, automated um, battery monitoring systems. So any new PSs we're putting in now, We've been able to put in some battery monitoring systems. So, again, we can look at that all online. We get data every two to three seconds uh, from the batteries. We can have a look at the discharge rates. Uh, we can have a look at the status of charge, the voltage, the current, and everything that's going through them. Um, and over time, we can look at the deterioration of batteries right down to the individual batteries in the UPS. So some of them may be able to replace sooner um, uh, than others. But also we're, we're now starting to see that we're extending the life of some assets. Uh, traditionally, some of those assets, particularly UPSs, for instance, that are supporting labs or data centres, um, no one wants to take a risk of failure. So quite often they'll have a, a drop-dead date that says in th every three years replace them. Well, now we're starting to get some data that says, no, no, you'll be all right for another uh, another year or two oh, in wow. terms of that. Um, so... You know, again, you're reducing the, the cost of replacement, you're extending the life and you're reducing the cost of maintenance, um, which is extremely powerful. Um, anything like thermal imaging, uh, a lot of people, I think, I think sometimes distribution boards, um, electrical boards, um, quite often, you know, it's built into your contracts that you will do an annual shutdown, you will test all these uh, components, uh, even the tightness of the, the, the bolts, anything else that's going on there. Uh, and quite often it's too hard to organise, particularly in multi-tenanted buildings. Um, thermal imaging is something that we've we've introduced um, as well as a, as a simple predictive maintenance technique. So we can we can monitor uh, temperatures and detect what's going on there. Uh, and then from the straight FM perspective, like I mentioned before, in our BI tool, we're monitoring a number of breakdowns. We've got a, a an asset risk. We assign asset risk to every individual asset within a building now. Uh, there's a, um, we, we break it down by two categories. We look at um, business criticality risk. So any of those assets, any, anything adverse goes wrong with those assets will have a detrimental effect on the users, the occupiers in the building. So there's business, business criticality risk and then there's likelihood of failure risk. And there's a number of things that, um, risk categories that go into that. We assess that. Um, so from a predictive maintenance perspective, we then start implementing mitigation strategies for every individual asset. So there's not budgets there to replace assets. If you've got 
five AC units that are all identical, um, serving the same space. You may have some redundancy. You may replace one of those assets and then you keep some critical spares for other assets. So having that, um, all that data there to understand the number of failures that's happened, um, putting in mitigation strategies, keeping critical spares on site is another one that helps with first time fix. Um, um, and all that data that we've got, linking it up with the asset risk scores, uh, there's some really, really innovative predictive maintenance solutions that we've got out there. And again, it all comes back to the data. If we can capture that, we can monitor it, we can measure it, we can manage it, and we get better and better over time. Thank you very much, John. A pleasure to have you on the Ramble. And I will catch up with you in a couple of weeks when I'm down under, mate. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to The Measure now so you don't miss anything. Music